What's up, everybody? Welcome to Leaders of Lifestyle, a podcast all about real estate, sports, and entertainment. Take a deep dive with me into the world of high-end lifestyle and get exposed to the different leaders behind the scenes of it all. So let's get right into it. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? I'm Michael Farrow, and this is Leaders of Lifestyle podcast. Like always, I'm coming to you, bringing you the best in sports, entertainment, and real estate. And just like every week, we do not disappoint. We have an amazing guest, Brett Frazier, here with us today. Uh, Brett, prior to joining Compass as a real estate broker, worked in several top real estate firms in New York and managed investment portfolios worth over $500 million. Brett's in, uh, clientele included celebrities, professional athletes, CEOs, entrepreneurs, um, and more. Uh, Brett worked in uh, mainly real estate in Manhattan and dabbled in South Florida, uh, the Caribbean, and all across the world. In June 2020, he moved down to Florida and Brett officially joined uh, Compass in February of 2021. Now, Brett is born and raised in the Cayman Islands. Brett studied finance and economics and went to the University of Florida. And what's really, really cool is Brett is a two-time Olympian and Pan American Games champion. And Brett is a world-renowned athlete and competitor. And there was so much to talk about because Brett just got back from the Olympics where he participated um, in that. And there's tons of stuff to talk about, about swimming. Let's get into it. Brett, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks, Mike. It's a pleasure to be on the show. So... I was an all-American swimmer. I coached the national team. Um, did it all my life. Was in that world. You are competing and being a professional and winning at all angles and everything. And it's just so cool when I found out that there was a Compass agent who was swimming in the Olympics. I just thought that was the the coolest thing in the world. So I want to dive into kind of your professional career and also your swimming career because they they are huge parts of your life so why don't we get get right into uh how this whole happened how this whole thing happened this year with tokyo and going into that and um because i know that you had a successful swimming career i think it was swimming in florida and then coming out of that and starting your professional life so let's just kind of get into it where, where, where should we start uh, wherever you'd like. I mean, I can take you back from uh, the last Olympics I competed in, which is London 2012, because that's kind of where I put a pin in my athletic uh, career, my swimming career. Moved up to New York, knew I needed uh, to spend some time out of the water and wanted to gain experience within the, the real estate, entrepreneurship and, uh, you know, finance aspect of, uh, of business. So that's kind of where I focused my efforts in, in getting hired. And uh, I joined a a boutique real estate investment company where I, you know, climbed the ranks from analysts all the way up to uh, taking uh, director role in investor relations and, um, you know, learned a lot about uh, small businesses, real estate, uh, valuations and, and everything, every good thing that comes with finance and, and uh, understanding real estate transactions, uh, kind of at the commercial and sometimes residential level uh, during that yeah. role. So, um, after London, moved up to New York uh, in 2013. I spent six, seven years in the city, uh, you know, kind of just uh, working and uh, gaining a lot of experience networking and then kind of just figuring out what I wanted to do long term. Um, so after I left uh, that investment shop, I got licensed in the state of New York and decided to do uh, more commercial brokerage um, kind of on my own with the relationships that I built. 
Uh, so that was my foray into the you know transactional sales side of real estate. And um, in 2019, I just kind of got uh, not necessarily like intense fatigue, but felt it was a good time to maybe you know step away, uh, perhaps from New York, perhaps from what I was doing for just about a year to to take the time to move down to South Florida, which is what I wanted to do um, around the the time frame of 2020 anyway. But I had this idea. Since it was 2020, it was a big year. I was ready to leave New York. I figured um, I would spend the year preceding 2020 because the Olympics were, were in 2020 uh, training for one more. So mentally, physically, I felt like I was there uh, in 2019. I didn't feel like I was there in 2015, approaching uh, the real Olympics in 2016. So uh, right place, right time. I decided to leave New York in September 2019 to move to Raleigh, North Carolina to train with professional uh, group uh, and then you know qualify for the for the olympics in a timely fashion like earlier qualification is better so i got that done in january you, were, you trained at the wolf pack right yeah that's right with nc state i was we were always training or, or doing something over in mecklenburg yeah over there with those guys over there yeah awesome um so in 20 January 2020, I qualified. I was very happy with the progress I made just getting back in the water. And in uh, after taking, you know, I, I really didn't seriously swim since 2013 or 2014. So I was out of the water this entire time, but, you know, just kept uh, myself generally fit and, um, you know, fitness and, and diet and nutrition are, you know, things that uh, I always want to have involved in my life and know a lot about. So <clears throat> I think uh, just as a result of that and having trained before, didn't want to let myself, uh, you know, go too much. So, uh, yeah, spent about four months back in the water training pretty intensely and then, you know, went to a qualifying meet for the Tokyo Games to see where we're at. Uh, uh, we qualified right there and then. And then uh, March 2020 happened uh, not only for me, but also for every, everyone else. So yeah. uh, kind of what happened there was um, because I had qualified before the coronavirus happened uh, and there was still a lot of uncertainty around the Tokyo Games, I decided to, uh, after quarantine, leave Raleigh and move down to Miami just because my the training group that I was with kind of dissolved uh, because of the coronavirus and a lot of the amount of uncertainty around the Games uh, right. make me comfortable with, you know, still continuing to train full time because I didn't even know if after training for about a year, if I train for one more year, will the Olympics still happen that year? So... You know, here we are in 2021. Uh, I, you know, did a, a little bit of mental gymnastics last year with myself, trying to understand if training again was for training for the Olympics, continuing to train was something that I that I wanted to do and was that I was interested in. So um, I took a few months by my by myself, you know, on my own to uh, decide at the end of last summer, uh, around October, that I really wanted to make the push for. For Tokyo, uh, as long as it was happening in 2021. So, you know, a bit of a risk here and there. But uh, while I didn't want to, you know, in case the Olympics didn't happen, I figured I'd get back to work as much as much as I could. And uh, getting into residential real estate down in Miami was one of the major things that I you know I wanted to do in the year of 2020. So, um, started exploring different brokerages and immediately, immediately knew that uh, Compass was uh, my top choice. Um, started uh, reaching out uh, to my resources and, and networking with with teams, agents, and uh, uh, folks on the operation side, 
um, to understand more about the company and to see if it was truly a good fit and, you know, how I could add value and be successful uh, from the get-go there. So in February 20, February earlier this year, I joined this Hogan's team um, over in Coconut Grove. So I've been working with Liz and, uh, you know, kind of balancing training and, and uh, I'm getting deals done at the same time. So it's been, you know, having that type of hectic schedule is uh, something that I'm used to, something that I enjoy. It's very tough at times, but uh, I find it to be, I find the rewards to be, um, you know, it's pretty rewarding. So. Yeah, sorry for the the rant. No, dude, you, you listen. I I I I have to. We have to talk about this because a lot of people. I, I know your world, like I know six hours in the pool every single day, plus dry lands. You know, you probably have. You know, you have the AM practice, the the BM session, or whatever it is you do for you sprinters. Um, you know, whatever that group. But so the the dedication to be competing at your level is so high that most people don't understand it. But at the same time, what's fascinating about you is you've been successful in this business world and real estate, all different forms of real estate in all different locations. The commitment level for both, people don't understand how hard that is and how much of a skill in itself it is. So, I mean, I want, I want to read this because I, I also want to get back into when you first started and, and starting up your swimming and then kind of how, look at these career highlights. I mean, a flag bearer in the Cayman Islands at the 2012 Olympics. Uh, you, you did the 50, the 100, and 200. You were a gold medalist in the 200-meter free in the 2011 Pan-American Games. Um, you were a silver medalist in the 200-meter 200 200, uh, free and 200-meter two, back in the two, 2010 Central American and Caribbean Games. And you're a two-time NCAA champion. I'm guessing that's with Florida, um, which is, you know, was that Troy? That's not Troy. Yeah. Is that uh, Troy? Troy? Is that Troy? Yeah. Our swim manager, uh, Greg Troy, who is, uh, you know, one of the, the coaches for Icons. the USA team. And then Anthony Nesty, who's also one of the head coaches for uh, Team USA yep. as well. So 20, 2007 to 2011, I was on the varsity team and then stayed to train with uh, Gator Swim Club, which was the professional team for the London game. So it was, uh, it was a great, I mean, one of the best times. Uh, my life was spent at Florida, so you know training. And you train. You train with Lochte down there, right? Yeah, I trained with Ryan. Um, yeah, yeah, pretty regularly for uh, a while. So uh, it was a wonderful training environment. I mean, you had you know big names everywhere uh, here and there. Yeah. So every every day you had to show up and you know be the best, or uh, you know you're just going to get carried away because everyone else is there to you know ultimately win gold medals. So the training you get exposed to every single day is the best in the world and. And uh, Troy's a beast, course. man. Troy, Greg Troy is a is a beast. He's a he's a traditional <laughs> old school kind of tr- distance yeah. guy, right? We we swam a lot. We did a lot of lifting. We we just did a lot of training. I I, I don't think I've ever uh, you know done as much physical activity in my life. Uh, <laughs> yeah, for, I mean I it was bet. all for. I don't think it was all for nothing. Uh, they have a, a program that works down there, and you know I'll be a sure. forever. So. So let's do this. Let's for for sake of purpose, let's talk about early on your swimming career growing up. Then let's talk about that time in your life to 2011, 12, 13 time that that and then 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 you have a chunk in there that's professional where you really dove into business and work. And then let's talk about finding your love again with with swimming and then what this Olympics was like because I think that's a great great way to start. So how old were you when you started swimming? Um, I think I learned how to swim out of that, you know, kind of the earliest age possible, uh, 
growing up on Grand Cayman, uh, being surrounded by water. Uh, the beach was right there. Uh, there was a pool. So uh, my parents taught my older brother and I to swim at a very young age. And uh, because we're pretty close in age, um, every day after school, uh, Sean, my older brother, and I would just, um, you know. He's also changed. a very good swimmer, too. Yeah, Sean's, Sean also lives in Miami. He's a uh, three-time Olympian as well. And uh, yeah. yeah, I shared, you know, the majority of my career uh, racing him. And, uh, you know, that was very exciting and, and, and great memories. But um, him and I, like, you know, got in the pool every day after, after middle school, after grade school. And uh, that was just something that we enjoyed doing, being in the water just, you know, every single day. Uh, we played other sports as well, but uh, I'd say at the age of like, you know, four or five, I was swimming pretty regularly. And then um, wow, that young. part of a part of a structured uh, program around age seven to eight and then thereafter. Nice. Nice. So you're doing seven to eight, then you're probably doing local swim teams and doing that kind of thing. And, exactly. and then started to go all year round, I'm guessing. And then when did you start to realize, okay, like right around maybe high school, you're starting to break away from the field a little bit? Yeah, it was when I was probably 16 uh, was when yeah. I was like, okay, you know, this is something that I think could, uh, I, I certainly feel like I have the potential if I work hard enough to, you know, do something big here. Uh, it was also motivating to see, you know, what swimming fast and hard work did for other for other athletes um, in the Cayman Islands, especially my brother. Um, I saw that if you know you were dedicated to the sport and you did the right things with hard work, um, you would ultimately achieve whatever goal it is that you wanted to. So, uh, having that association with Sean and seeing it live, I was like, you know what, I can. I feel like I can do the same thing too. So, yeah, that's kind of how uh, where, where the motivation came from. Uh, Swimming is one of those sports where you can burn out really easily and, and very quickly at a young age. So certainly felt that. And uh, 2004, there was a pretty bad hurricane to hit uh, the Cayman Islands. And I, I took a year off just because, you know, mentally I, I wasn't there after the hurricane. And then uh, the facilities and uh, the majority of the island was damaged. So um, I took one year off and then I really missed the sport during that year, then got back in. And then uh, after that was when uh, I started, you know, to understand how good I could be. At, at the age of 16, 17. Okay. So you get recruited. I'm sure you had your options to go. Um, did you have any other places that you had your eye on besides Florida? Uh, no, Florida, once they were, once I was speaking with Florida, it was, it was very clear. It was done. It was done deal. Yeah. Just, I just wanted to go there. I saw, you know, who my training partners would be, who also were recruiting and kind of the, the, the accolades that the whole college team, the coaches and other swimmers had racked up uh, just recently. So that was, you know, I, I knew it was going to be an intense program, but uh, mm -hmm. I was, I was very, very up for it. Did your brother go to the same school as you? Uh, he did. He was just one year ahead of me. So he was okay. class of 2020, 2010 and I was class of 2011. That's awesome. So you get to Florida, get down to Troy, you're starting to, you know, the program is insane. The caliber of athlete you're training with, I'm sure the academics, what were you majoring in at the time? Finance. So finance. So you kind of knew that you were going to go into that world. That's something you wanted to do. Yeah, I knew, I think I knew that uh, swimming is one of those sports that, um, you know, what, what do you do after swimming? And that's something yeah. that I always thought about. And growing up, I didn't bank on being, you know, as good of a swimmer as I've been uh, to be the only thing that I wanted to do, nor was that the only thing I was interested in. I mean, that was something I was certainly interested in, 
but kind of a, a bonus, a, a cherry on top, if you will. So um, I knew that I wanted to get a solid education growing up in the Cayman Islands. There's a lot of real estate. There's a lot of, uh, you know, financial uh, tourism and um, finance is a big industry. Banking is a big, big industry in addition to insurance and reinsurance down there. So being surrounded kind of by that uh, business nature um, in an inter- in, in, in a very international com- country, right. uh, that kind of, you know, uh, spurred me to to have an interest in in those in those categories of, of work. So when I got to school, finance was uh, kind of just uh, I, I knew it was a decent major to have, so that's kind of why I did it. I was challenging to study that uh, and have those courses while you know competing for the school, but I uh, was able to you know graduate on time, and um, you know that's where I learned a lot of the skills that I find uh, transferred over uh, into the to the professional world, business professional world um and to be very valuable i mean you know going to class competing traveling uh, it's a pretty heavy load that you have to manage yep. properly every single day so yep. you know I, I think if i studied an easier major uh you know i would have had more time for for this or that but i chose and i'm happy with the decisions that i made um, education wise and athletic wise in college yeah the athletes that come out of the collegiate swimming programs, the type of athletes you have to be to be at that level training and taking classes and then the, the amount of dedication, hard work, perseverance, you're getting an amazing professional that's going to come out of that. I mean, that's just, it's going to be a different kind of person, the kind of commitment to excellence, especially at those levels that you're going to get. So I'm not surprised that you did very well in your business career as well when it's continuing to go. Um, two-time NCAA champ. Right. Was it um, the, the team or individually? Uh, one was the relay. So one was the team and then the individual was 200 freestyle. So again, for people who don't understand swimming, the Olympics are swam in what we call long course meters as what we call Olympic sized pools. NCAAs um, for division one are competed in short course yards. So if you look up, you look up Brett and you see different times and L's and Y's, it's one's long course meters and M's for meters. And, you know, again, for people who don't understand that on times. All right. So I'm interested. So you're 200 yard. What was it? Different pool lengths. Different pool lengths. Right. So your 200 yard NCAA championship time. Was that a, a best time? Yes. What did you go? What was your time? Uh, it was 132.1. So one thirty one second, one minute, 32 seconds. And then, that is so fast. One thirty-two is so fast. Even yeah, I'll, in never, the- I'll never forget that race. I I saw the prelim swim because at NCAA's it's prelims final, whereas Olympics for the same event it's prelims semifinals finals. So in the morning it's it's kind of the it's at the it's the second day I think it was in that format, and we had a bunch. It was the third day actually. A bunch of relays. You know, you're pretty tired. It's not the shortest race. It's a pretty yeah. aggressive race, though. So I swam in prelims and it was like, uh, you know, my body just felt, you know, different than it was supposed to, or I, I imagined it feeling at the time, and it was just more, much more exhausted. And, uh, you know, the mental aspect that we were, you know, given training for at Florida, that's when that really came into play because during that night swim, like if I swam solely on how I felt uh, in the morning, I wouldn't have the same swim. So, you know, right. it just goes to show that uh, the mental component um, in a, in, in a, 
coordination with the physical component is, you know, what brings you to success, not just one or the other. So uh, I really realized that during that race and um, I had a pretty special swim at night and was, you know, surprised myself, I think, and a lot of other people. So did you wear a full body for that? No, just uh, just from your hips down to your knees. So you were just wearing like a knee skin? Yes. So and the full body technical suits, I I swam with them for about a year, two years in college. And then in 2009, they banned those suits. They banned those. Yeah. Right. They broke all the records and took them all away. Yeah. I used, I wore those suits uh, when I was, I first put them on when I was 19 and uh, my times like, you know, went from, I think it was 51 in the hundred free to 48, five long course. Crazy. The 200 free went from like 150 to 148. So those things things work, man. That's good thing they banned it. We'd never have new records. Very very fun to wear. Uh, You you knew you were never swimming slow when you put those on. Exactly. You you just like this and you just went right up on the surface, just so high in the water. Uh, What were you um, going into finals, NCAAs? You were going to win the 200 free. Um, What were you seated going into finals? I was seated sixth. You seated six going into final. So you were probably you were probably what lane seven. I think I was I was either lane two or lane seven. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. So you were almost outside smoke out there. That's awesome. Did yeah. you know right off the bat? Did you have the lead out going, or did you pull up in the way you like back half in it? Uh, I remember that race pretty clearly. Um, at the hundred, I knew I had the lead, but then my coach told me to swim the race differently than how I swam it. Greg, uh, and I flipped at the 175 and was like, I kind of looked, but I, I didn't because I breathed to my right and I breathed pretty much every second. You stroke. don't bilateral, you just one side. Okay. I, I do one side. So I, I tried to look to see if anyone was there and I don't think anyone was there, but I couldn't really tell because I was looking and I only had one lane uh, to compare where I was in the race by looking to my right, which is the side I breathed to. So I touched the wall and I'm like, you know, I think someone may have touched, I've touched me, but I knew I was like second or somewhere in the top three. Yeah. And then I touched the wall and first one there. And it was, uh, you know, an incredible feeling and uh, a little shocking, but um, yeah. I guess I found the race and had enough, uh, enough gas in the tank to, to get home first. So you took it out hard. Yeah. Very hard. <laughs> you were like, I'm going for this. Did yeah. you feel like right at the like 125 coming off that hundred where you're like, oof. Well, I just, I just knew, I told myself before the race, like, this is the last chance in your college career to do something. So that's what I think, you know, I, w- I got behind the box and was like, this is, this is it. This is my strongest event or second strongest event. Uh, I'm not going to be here next year. My eligibility is over after this single competition. So, uh, yeah, my coach was like, swim it like this, swim it like that. And I was like, okay, uh, talk to, and this is, uh, Florida had won this event the two years previous. So if they wanted this year, this would have been the third year running. And that's something also that motivated me because I was like, you know, carrying, you know, holding that yeah, record yeah. in at the school, I was something I wanted to do. So I, I kind of swam my own race, but uh, contrary to what my coach told me to do. So he was, you know, a little upset about uh, my strategy, but it ended up. I think it was okay. I think so. I think it'd be uh, fine with you. you so yeah, it. I just felt, I, I knew that I, who my competition was, needed to take it out and just kind of swam my own race according yeah. to myself. And, uh, you know, given my racing experience and everything that I had practiced for, uh, things fell together that evening. Well, that's awesome, man. I just oh, I love that story because it just brings me back. Like, it's just so cool. Um, so you have the success. 
then you start to get into the international scene representing your country. Um, you start to, was that around the time you were doing the fitter faster camps and stuff like that and, and doing those um, things? I actually didn't uh, join fitter faster until maybe right after 2016. So oh, okay. that, I was assuming full, full time, um, just competing, traveling, training pretty much, uh, my entire, all my days were committed to, to those things. Right. So, um, around that time. Yeah. So after I graduated in August, 2011, um, I was just, you know, solely focused to as best performance at the London games as possible. So, uh, yeah. At, so I what was, was that like knowing you're going to your first Olympics where you just like, Oh my God, this is, like, what's that like going into your first Olympics? So first one for me was in Beijing and I qualified. Uh, I knew that if I worked hard my freshman year, freshman year, I would, I'd qualify. So I think that happened in like February or March, 2008. And the Olympics so you happened. had already been to the Olympics. But yeah, by so time I qualified for my first one. I was like, you know, whoa, this is crazy. I went to the Olympics and was like, you know, there are a lot, this is the Olympics. And it certainly felt that way uh, for, for, you know, the host of reasons uh, that I think are obvious. But uh, I got there and was like, you know what? Uh, I want to, you know, do something special at the next one. You know, maybe I'm a bit young, maybe I'm a bit inexperienced or right. uh, I haven't had the exposure to, to the training that I need to be successful at this one. But um, I knew that in the next four years, I wanted to come back with all those skills in that in the bag uh, that I'd carry um, over to the London Olymp Olympics. So I went back after Beijing and, you know, kind of just turned everything up uh, across the board and uh, wanted to come back for London in a way that... Uh, that I had never you know, competed before. Awesome. So then go from that. And now four years later, so that was oh, 08. Yeah. So now yeah. we're 2012, right? So 2012, you go to London, right? Am I right? Yeah. London. London. Yeah. That's correct. London. So let's talk about that. London Olympics. How did we do? Uh, it was good. I mean, I think it was, I swam my best times across the board, every single event that I swam. I uh, swam so the 50, the 100, and the 200, focused on the 200 and the 100, uh, just because those are what I trained for. And then uh, the 50, which is what I swam at Tokyo, was the event that I always wanted to be good at, but it was tough swimming those other two. Uh, you know, uh, the 50 and the 200 are much different races. So it's, you know, kind of choose, you know, if it's going to be the 100 and the 50 or the 100 and the 200. So for me, it was the 100 and the 200 and made semifinals in both. And then I think I placed uh, 10th and 12th, respectively. Mm. Still amazing, man. That's the world. So, you know, getting into the finals, the ultimate goal, being in the final, you have a chance to medal. And uh, yeah, that's kind of, you know, what I wanted to do. But I was, you know, very thrilled with going best times by a uh, pretty good margin and uh, happy with my performances. In London. So come back, two-time Olympian. It's 2012. So do you start, when do you start getting into the, the part where you're taking a break and you start going into the professional time of your life and that sort of stuff? So I had to, so I was on visas until 2012 and then applied for a green card that took a few months to process. And I wasn't sure if I wanted to stay in Miami or move to New York at the time. So I took a few trips, went up to Chicago, New York, uh, and LA. New York was a clear winner for me um, just because I knew it, knew it was the, business and finance capital of the world. Most of the job opportunities were up there. So I decided to, in the fall of 2013, um, just pack up what I had going here in Miami. I was in Miami after the London, 
London Olympics. I moved uh, down to the city um, from Gainesville uh, when I got done competing. Um, thought I wanted to live here uh, at the time forever, but figured there there'd be better opportunities uh, in the Northeast, and Miami would be a place I'd, I'd come back to. So before I even you know left here, that's what I uh, planned out to have happen, uh, you know, or return at some point. So um, in 2013, that's when I moved up to New York and uh, kind of spent spent my time networking and uh, carefully, you know, evaluating opportunities that come my way to make sure that they would take me on the on the proper uh, career traje- trajectory that I wanted to follow. And uh, that's kind of where I met my you know former boss and got involved with uh, uh, this boutique real estate company um, that was acquiring and managing multifamily hospitality, uh, self-storage, and industrial assets across uh, the wider United States, but mainly in the greater New York City area. And did you, was that the first time you were in the Northeast, like ever in your life, or you had been living there before? Uh, The first time I was in the Northeast, the adjustment was, um, the first winter I'll never forget, it was was really cold. And I, I remember telling my dad that I'm moving up to New York, and he was like, my dad's from Canada, he grew up, he grew up on the west coast of Canada, moved down to the Cayman Islands, and I never went back to Canada, so he doesn't like winter. And he, he kind of prepped me on uh, moving up to the Northeast. He's like, well, you know, get ready for a real winter. And I was like, yeah, it's going to be fine. And it was a lot uh, more challenging than yeah, man. Be, but uh, yeah. summer came around and uh, I was it like, does. Wow. it comes once summer kind of made up for how bleak winter was. And once yeah. I experienced that, I was like, yeah, I, I, I can do this. No problem. It's uh, <laughs> It's uh, you know pretty great up here, and you know it kind of balances out uh, what the what the winter um, you know doesn't have it makes up for it in the spring. So, were you training um, during that time or not really? Uh, not really. I I joined uh, the New York Athletic Club to kind of have access to a facility and a, yeah. a training program uh, in New York, and uh, still a member of, of the club. Uh, it's been you know wonderful to be uh, part of that, and. Um, yeah, I kind of, I wasn't sure if I wanted to still train, but I knew I wanted to keep my fitness in the water. So I, I did like a lot of just the lifting that I was doing in college, a lot of strength training uh, with Olympic lifting and uh, core work and stuff like that. So just regular cardio, um, taught myself how to run, running was something that I hated to do and, uh, you know, got into that and just try to uh, do other forms of exercise other than swimming. So that's kind of what I did the most, the majority of my time in New York, uh, exercise wise, I swam, you know, in terms of taking water totally out of the pool, I didn't really swim from 20, like for exercise or anything from like 2014 to 2019. And that was pretty much just working. You were working at that point. Yeah, that was working. That was, uh, yeah, a lot of, you know, it was pretty much all working because, you know, yeah, professionally, you, you join, uh, you know, you, you just start out in your in the beginning of your career uh the hours can get uh pretty demanding so um it was mostly work and um you know tried to make uh the most out of you know every single day there but you know you get exhausted from, from the type of analytical work that is required in some roles the first two years so again figured out a way to balance that out and you know knew it was important to you know find time for mental and physical fitness at least one hour uh, per day and um you know kept myself pretty pretty close to that routine uh throughout the years and then so what when did you in the professional side start going from the multifamily uh investment side finance side 
to where you're starting to think about, you know, I kind of I want, I'm interested in the residential, the impossibly single family world where you're, you know, on a different market, maybe when did that start to creep into your mind? I think it was in like 2016 or 2017, uh, a good friend of mine, he worked in kind of the luxury market in New York City. And I, I followed him around, uh, shadowed him a few days for some of the property tours and meetings that he'd go to. And I was like, you know, this is this is cool. This is different. It's still real estate where you're dealing with individuals rather than uh, entities or, or companies and the whole experience and the the way that you approach clients, interact with clients, it's much different than than I had understood it to be myself. So I kind of spoke with him about, you know, what he was doing and his experience and knew that was something I wanted to get into. So it took a few years uh, for me to kind of act on, on that interest. And I uh, finally did in 2019, I got my license in the state of New York and joined Compass uh, as a referral agent. Um, just because I wasn't sure if I wanted to stay in New York or, you know, what I, I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do at the time, but I followed the residential uh, market pretty uh, closely. And uh, that was something that I was kind of, you know, just, there was a thought in my head. And then I was like, you know what, given my you know, experience, my relationships and uh, industry relationships, I think uh, this would be a pretty, you know, fun and uh, rewarding in all sorts of ways um, industry for me to, you know, try out. After I had decided, because um, there was about a year or two after I left uh, the, the the small business I was with in New York, the investment company, uh, that I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do. It wasn't, you know, stay within, you know, a, a very a typical finance role. It was more, you know, something creative involving entrepreneurship and, and real estate and technology. So the combination of those three things, you know, allowed me to really be like, okay, you know, residential commercial real estate is what I want to focus on. I've done commercial in the past, uh, but let's, you know, let's give residential a shot. I think that's what I'm most interested in on the real estate side and what I, you know, haven't really um, dabbled in uh, at all. So I, that's how I figured, you know, I repositioned my career into more of a residential, um, you know, to include more of a residential uh, component to it, residential real estate. You couldn't have picked more two of the more most competitive markets, right? Like Southern Florida and New York City, to be a broker and try to sell real estate or be in that world. While at the same time, at this time of your life, here comes Tokyo, where you're now also trying to make a decision if whether or not you're going to be going to this next Olympics. So, what was the, I mean? Like, kind of touched on it, but. You know, just thinking in my mind, so hyper focused to be able to say, "Look, I'm going to give this everything I have and and participate in this, you know, this event every four years, or that you know, I've possibility to go and do amazing things." But at the same time, I'm just kind of I'm really now into this new role, this new career that I'm really interested in trying to start within residential real estate in this ridiculously competitive markets. What was that like? How did you actually like make the decision when you did? What was that like going into one or the other? Did you dabble with both or were you basically like, no, I got to stop a little bit more one and I got to dive into the other one? Like, how, how did you work that? So, you know, taking, taking my skills acquired from training and studying in college and then, you know, working and then still doing a little bit of training and then again, no training and then focusing on, you know, my, my career. I learned a lot along the way. So efficiency and optimization are two skills that I think uh, 
I spent a lot of time trying to um, enhance and refine over the years. So where I think I am or what, or where I think I was when I decided was um, I'll be able to handle both just because I have a way and processes to manage each side of uh, whatever, each endeavor that I was doing, real estate and uh, training. So because of that and because of the skills that I've acquired and adapted uh, you know, across my lifestyle over the years, I think that's how I was easily able to make that decision because I think organization and, and uh, you know, just finding efficiencies in your workflow are major components to success. And um, it, there was no question if I'd be able to, to manage both at the same time. Uh, um, it was stressful, stressful at times, but that stress was nothing different um, than anything I had experienced, more intense, more intense than uh, I had experienced before. So um, yeah, it was fine. I mean, I enjoy uh, uh, not always having, you know, the most on my plate, but um, yeah. that's, you know, it's just something that uh, a little bit of pressure here and there is, I feel like good for me, so. You're a hardened competitor, man. I mean, uh, that just makes you rise up. That's what you deal with. Like people don't understand when you're competing at these levels and you're having to deal with this stuff, like you are this successful because you can handle these things. You're constantly in these moments. So yeah, that's right. I mean, like, you know, the more pressure, the more I decide to take on, it just allows me, um, it kind of forces me to uh, believe more in myself and understand that, you know, I'm not necessarily operating at 100%. It might be, you know, you realize like I have a lot more bandwidth for whatever it is you need to give more attention to. So I, that's part of the, the reason why I do it kind of to, to understand exactly, you know, where I am in my tolerance for um, being able to you know, do more in a, in a, in an efficient way. So I want to talk about the Tokyo games, but before that, I want to dive a little bit more into the real estate. So being down now, now you go to Miami and what would you say? So you're coming from the, the finance side, different type of real estate, the commercial side, a little different than the residential side. What you, what would you say coming to, I don't want to say a new market because you knew the market, but kind of starting again there in the residential sales side, what was the biggest learning curve coming from commercial to residential and then being in this market again? Like, What was the biggest thing you had to learn? Uh, the biggest thing was that uh, I had to rebuild. I, I had to build my business because most of my relationships were with um, specific companies or you know individuals who have an appetite for investment properties. So... Um, I networked with a lot of uh, successful brokers that I knew in South Florida and, and asked them, you know, is this something that you could see me doing? Is this something, you know, that you've enjoyed? How have you become successful? Just starting to use all the resources that I ha had access to and, um, you know, make the most of those. Uh, my understanding of the residential market was a lot different than what I had imagined it to be. So I'd say that that was the biggest difference and having to learn very quickly and on the fly how to, you know, effective ways and efficient ways to manage and close deals and how to, to, you know, capture buyers or get the attention of sellers. Those are things that, uh, that's knowledge that I had to, you know, I, w I wanted to learn from and continue to want to learn from the best and apply, you know, pretty quickly into my, into my workflow and business. So, you know, ha having little to no understanding about the crux of a residential deal and how that would happen, especially in the state of Florida and Miami, that's what I had to bring myself up to up to speed on. But everything else, I'd say, was was skills that I was able to transfer over pretty, pretty, uh, pretty easily from the commercial okay. to the 
residential side. So as you're you're kind of doing you're you're getting into the business, you're understanding that the clientele is now shifting. It goes from a company or investors to residential buyers and sellers. You know, they're coming from vacations or full-time residences and different stuff like that. Did you start to feel like you started to pick up steam in one of either the buyer side, the seller side? And like how did you how did that feel? What how did you start to do that? Yeah, so I I think I've always had more of an inclination to represent on the buy side. Not to say that I do not want to work on the sell side. That's a piece of the business that uh, I haven't worked in before. So once I uh, have achieved that, then, you know, I think we'll want to ramp up that side as well. But just the the experience that I've had has been more on the, the buyer side. So um, through my network, I slowly started reaching out to just, you know, certain individuals uh, because at this time I had to balance my time between training and uh, doing as much as I could uh, at work. So I didn't want to kind of fully open um, up the faucet to uh, my entire network yet. So I figured I'd reach out to select individuals and let them, let them know I was working in a residential down here, which had been, um, you know, as, as much as I needed at the time to uh, get going. And then from there, uh, after the Olympics, which just happened, I figured I'd make, you know, a much larger marketing push. Uh, because I think one of the best pieces of advice that I got going into residential real estate um, was, you, you know, you have to tell everyone that you work in real estate. Yeah. So yeah. I've yet to do that. I have a, a little marketing plan that I, I'm going to put into action uh, pretty soon. Uh, once the summer's over, I think uh, where we are with COVID and, you know, places opening back up uh, and, you know, very well deserved. Everyone should be having a fun summer and August, uh, while not to say it's you know, totally slow, it's it's a slower month in the state of Florida and New York um, for transactions. So, uh, you know, having a marketing push and leveraging the resources that I've created over the years in my athletic and professional career are how I you know plan to uh, continue to build my business just by awareness and then, um, you know, hopefully providing value add to buyers uh, through my knowledge and, and, and uh, and, you know, the, the way of doing things that uh, they can't really find anywhere else. Well, I mean, I can't ask for a better agent than somebody like you who's got that work ethic, determination, pedigree, uh, finance, you, you understand. And you're only going to get better and better as you start this because you're still young in it and it's going to be awesome. Um, Tokyo. So going to this Olympics was probably different than... Beijing or uh, or than than London and that whole thing, and uh, so Tokyo, you go there. What was this experience like compared to the other Olympic Games? A little bit older, a little more seasoned. Um, obviously, we're in the COVID world now. So, what was this experience like compared to other Olympic Games for you? Uh, this is a very different one. Uh, the obvious reasons are just COVID and the way that I think Japan wanted to have these Olympics take place. They just couldn't have that happen. There were It was very strict over there. I'd, I'd compare Japan and Tokyo right now to how the U.S. was in April and May 2020. Oh, so they're locked down then. They're very locked down. And each country had their own protocols and rules for interaction with you know other athletes. Masks at all times. You couldn't leave the village. You only could go to your competition venue, so I was allowed only to the pool, not to the track and field or, uh, you know, gymnastics or golf or any other sport. So, right. um, you know, for those those reasons, you know, why you go to the Olympics, you go to, there to compete, uh, represent your country, and then you go there to support your, your teammates. Um, so it was kind of difficult because 
couldn't really go and support teammates or interact with many other countries because of the rules that uh, the respective countries had imposed on their athletes and that the Japanese yeah. international, or, or sorry, the Japanese Olympic Committee had on the game. So, you know, those kind of things were different, but uh, the major difference was not having uh, that energy that um, the, you, you can't replicate the excitement and the noise that the fans bring to the arenas. So that was the, that was the largest thing for me, not just not having a packed house when you would swim uh, prelims or finals. Yeah, I was watching some of the finals and, you know, you could always tell, like, I mean, just to bring it back, like when you go to an NCAA and in like a regular NCAA year, no COVID, it's insane. The electricity is ridiculous. Like it's, it's best time, best time, best time, you know, place, championship, whatever. And when you go to the Olympics, you try to, you're coming off a tough trial. Sometimes trials are one of the most difficult meets in the, you know, in the world. Um, then you go to the Olympics, but you have the Olympic stage, you have the bright lights, you have the cameras, you have the world stage, all the fans. And I was watching it going like some of the swims were even the bet didn't matter who it was. Some of them were kind of flat. It was just that, and that happens like that. There just happens. I mean, I knew there were going to be special performances, but do I think there would have been more if we had the Olympics in the pre COVID format? Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, while the games were very special and, you know, 2020 will always be, 2021 will always be remembered as the right. 2020 Olympics. Uh, it's hard to, you know, say that it was as good of Olympics as, as they could have done because there were just so many pieces that uh, were missing. Just having the world there to cheer you on and having that physical presence, uh, just like how in-person meetings are you know, much better than virtual meetings. Uh, just the lack of you know, excitement from around the world in a physical form was the, yeah, the major difference for me. But that was history, man. Not only just being part of any Olympics is a part of history, but this particular Olympics, the fact that you were there, you competed is absolutely historic in itself. And, um, will this be your last one? Is, is this your last Olympics? Um, I'm taking some time away from the sport to figure out uh, exactly what the answer to that question is and then you know get uh, my business to a place uh, that I'm that I'm happy with and kind of grow a little bit uh, there but uh, I won't rule out Paris 2024 it's you know three years away versus four which it usually is after the Olympics so we'll see um, still feeling so we, good so we uh, just got to do this again in a couple of years and ask again and that's what we'll do <laughs> yeah maybe yeah set a, a, a reminder for right you know, years from now I was figuring I'd maybe see if I could break some news here on the podcast, but all right, take some time. That's fine. That's fine. So, um, so now you take some time away, you know, dabble here and, you know, keep your foot in the water, no, no pun intended, but, um, but now you back to professional life again, back yep. to, back to the business. So just professionally, we're going into, you know, going to be entering the fourth quarter soon. If not, we're already in the fourth quarter. Of the, uh, were there yet? We're not there yet. No, we're not. No, we're not yet. Seconds about the end. Right, right. So, what are we seeing trend wise? Uh, I, 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 same place, same thing. I think you saw the same thing I saw in, in my market. We're we're a little slower um, now. But what do you what are you seeing going on in your market now? Um, I mean, over the past year, Miami's been kind of a 
everyone's been down here. Transaction wise, things have been, you know, extremely active all the time. I think through this summer, uh, it's still been a pretty active summer. Um, uh, earlier this year for me, was, was really busy. I had to, you know, shift focus from, from work to, to, uh, training, but, uh, I've already had a few people, a lot of people actually reach out for, you know, just eyeing this fall for either purchasing or renting throughout the winter. So yep. uh, it's, it's going to be as active as it has been almost as active as last year. I think maybe it could be even more, but, um, you know, as people return from vacation, uh, I think we'll have a better sense, you know, as to exactly what that is, but. Um, Miami's very active. It's you know the prices here are as high as they've ever been, and it's a it's a great time for you know uh, buyers and or sellers to uh, uh, to get into the market. Now, your specifics. Do you have a specific subsection of of uh, where you're selling, like a area region, or are you are you pretty much you'll go wherever you need to go? Um, I'll focus on Miami Beach, uh, Miami, so like Coral Gables, Coconut Grove. And, you know, anywhere from Fort Lauderdale down, um, that's where I found most of the, uh, most of my, my relationships have been interested in. So familiarizing myself with uh, Miami specifically, and then um, kind of from the, you know, Boca Raton area all the way down. Uh, I, that's not to say I won't go up as far as to like Jupiter or, or, or Palm Beach or West Palm Beach, but um, Miami, Miami Beach uh, are, are, the, are the focus areas for me. Awesome. And because you do so much and because your lifestyle is so athletic driven, business driven, focused, do you have any tools or things that you um, you kind of use to kind of keep everything structured? You have to be structured for your life. I mean, the, I mean just the swimming structure itself between training and eating and resting and doing things is so structured, but also with business and everything. Do you have any tools that you use to kind of keep that structure? Uh, I rely pretty heavily on my calendar and yeah. uh, kind of just sorting through and organizing emails and project management tools that uh, keep me, you know, very, very organized because um, while I like to have a good mental note of everything, um, it helps to see it on, you know, a, a dynamic virtual screen as well. So having, you know, deals organized on a project management tool and then just having everything scheduled or uh, planned for in a calendar just keeps me keeps me uh, where I need to be. And, you know, those are two basic things that uh, everyone has access to. So it's just, you know, a matter of using them and yep. uh, using them, you know, efficiently and properly to, uh, to serve the needs uh, of however you'd like to work. So besides being an Olympic swimmer and training and being a successful real estate broker, what else do you like to do? What do you like to do just for you recreationally? Traveling, scuba diving, Dining and uh, pretty into wine. Pretty into wine. Yeah. What any specific types of wine? Uh, anything from the Bordeaux region. Uh, uh, I love um, reds. Usually, started to get into whites um, as well. And then someone told me about orange wine, which I still haven't tried, <laughs> uh, which is which is supposed to be good. So uh, yeah. Is there a wine connoisseur? I wouldn't say connoisseur, but uh, definitely, you know, a, a few glasses of red here and there, I think, uh, you know, are not are not too bad for you if you have to. Awesome. Awesome. So that's good that like, you have stuff um, outside of it, just hobbies, just things to kind of get away and do something a little bit different. Awesome. Um, any Any specific books or anything that you have read to kind of 
whether it's real estate books, sales books, anything that you prefer that you think that people listening or, or reading would be good for, for anything? Um, the, the two most powerful books I've read recently, were, they're by the same author. They're called uh, The Power of Now and A New Earth by uh, Eckhart Tolle. Uh, okay. Those have really just helped me uh, understand myself and um, you know, how, how to be you know, just a better person in all matters of the word uh, every single day. So those books have, I found to be the most powerful. Um, you know, I keep myself um, apprised of of uh, market updates through various broker newsletters from Compass Agents and then um, through institutions as well. Uh, so, you know, having a good macro and micro understanding of what's going on, I think it's, it's extremely important for all agents. Uh, so that's kind of where I get my market news. And then in terms of uh, being successful, I try to uh, network and, and understand what the best agents out there are doing. Um, and then also use, uh, resources such as books, but uh, I haven't come across, um, and if you have any recommendations, I'd love to hear them uh, just regarding you know, sales sales and, and books around closing and stuff like that. There's a lot of good, I mean, there's so many books. Oh my God. What happens is like, I, I started off, when I started off my career was all about like the mental stuff. I actually started my career trying to figure out if I wanted to even get into real estate. I was coaching, I was at, I was at uh, Nationals coaching and I was at night and I was reading a book, uh, 10X by Grant Cardone. And I'm sitting there and I'm like reading this book, thinking about the next morning. And I had to be up in a couple of hours. I couldn't sleep. And I know that like 5.30 wake up because I got to be on deck at like 6.45. I think our warm started at seven. And I'm like, okay, reading this book. And that was one of the first books that I read that got my mind thinking differently. So I started reading everything by Grant Cardone. And then you start picking up the Gary Keller million dollar real estate agent. And then I started reading stuff by Brian Tracy. He's a great sales, sales, uh, salesperson. There's a lot. I, I, I'd have to say though, if I had to pick the books that I thought were the most influential, what was it? Um, oh, sorry. That was just the feedback from my mic. I thought, um, uh, the answer, the answer is one of the first books that somebody told me to read. That was a real estate person. Um, I can't remember his name. He's from, he's the owner of Ontario real estate and, um, Danny Morrell. I followed him on social media and I was just watching him and he has a monster company. And so I was watching, watching, watching. I'm like, all right, I'm going to get into real estate full time. I'm just, I'm going to jump right in. I'm going to burn my boats and I'm going to do this. And so I, I remember sending him a message. Didn't think he was going to answer. And I was just like, you know, if you could, you know, one book or one piece of advice, one thing. And he was just like, pick up the answer. And the answer is a, um, it's basically the sequel to The Secret, which is the law of attraction. But uh, I, I just picked it up and I got it right away. And then it was like a think and grow rich kind of Napoleon Hill kind of thing, which is just awesome book. So those are, those are yeah. some of them. Yeah, good books, just good stuff. And then just the best thing you're, you're, what you're doing is the best thing I could have done. Joining Compass, coming to a company where they have the best of the best and you can meet and talk with them and learn from them. and. Um, that's the most invaluable stuff. Just put yourself around the best. When you went to Florida, you know, training with the top guys, there's, only, there's a reason why you continue to get better and better and better in the same way, same exact. And you will be because you've already done it and you're going to continue to do it. Um, Brett, thank you so much, man, for being on with us and and talking to us. I mean, I'm sure people are going to listen to your story and be tired just to listen to it. So the amount of coffee people are going to try to take to keep up with you or do your schedule is going to be crazy. Um, 
what where, where can people watch you uh instagram social different stuff how, how do people follow you yeah the easiest i think is uh contact me on instagram um you know you know now that social media has transformed the industry uh instagram has been a pretty effective tool and uh for agents so uh, i'm gonna start using that a lot more on uh, facebook instagram linkedin uh, my compass email uh, you can reach me you know however email or uh an instagram message will be fastest what's your instagram handle uh, it's b-r-e-t-t-f-r-a-s okay awesome yeah. well brett thank you so much is there anything that we didn't talk about today that you wanted to talk about um i think we covered everything but uh you know it's been a, a great experience uh, with Compass so far and i'd like like to thank you michael it's been a pleasure to be uh guest on the show and uh had a wonderful conversation and look forward to uh hopefully a part two about uh I was going to say, when you're ready to break the news, you just come back, you tell me, we'll come back on, and then we'll break the news one way or the other. You got it. All right, man. It's been an absolute pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Farrow, Leaders of Lifestyle Podcast. Like always, till next time, take care. Uh, 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 uh.